Well, I have to say this is a first for folk on foot. We're in the highlands of Scotland and it's thick with snow and it's beautiful, a white coating over the hills and mountains and, and hanging off the trees as well. And it's bitterly, bitterly cold, minus one. I think at the moment um, pools of ice have, have formed on the track and we're here to meet a wonderful singer who lives in the Highlands. Today's Folk on Foot guest is the Gaelic singer Julie Fowlis. She's made it her mission to bring Gaelic song and poetry to a wider audience. She was born and brought up in a Gaelic-speaking community on the island of North Uist, off the west coast of Scotland, but she now lives here, near to Loch Ness, and that's where we'll be meeting her today. She's won Radio 2 Folk Awards, she counts Ed Sheeran amongst her fans and she reached an enormous audience when she recorded songs for the soundtrack of the Disney Pixar film Brave. But today she and her husband and musical collaborator Eamon Dawley are going to take us for a walk on the snow-covered shores of Loch Ness. This is absolutely spectacular. We're at the end of Loch Ness. There is snow on the mountains and there's a little bit of mist hovering over the surface of this really still water. It's really still. It's beautiful this morning. Is this, is this a favourite place of yours? It, it really is. And um, it never gets any less inspiring, really. Um, the more I come to it, the more, the more you, you find here, whether that's um, history or or peace, or just a little bit of stillness. Can we walk round the shore a bit? Of course, let's go. Okay. So, is there musical inspiration in, in this landscape for you as well? 
absolutely and I think um, I guess this is now our, our family home you know and since I personally made the decision to, to be here and make music here a lot of my early influences of course are from the Hebrides and from North Uist in particular where I was raised until I was a teenager and when I started playing music professionally I was always going back to the well as it were and you know to old friends and teachers, mentors people who were always so generous and sharing with songs and that was always my go-to and I did a programme for radio a few years ago and it was during the process of recording that programme that I realised, it just struck me very suddenly, very powerfully actually, that I was raising my family in this area where I don't feel the same deep roots as I, I did in, in the Hebrides. When I, when I go home to, to the islands, just I hadn't even realised it, but when I get off the ferry and I, I start either walking or cycling or driving around the island, I can see songs in the landscape. I can see poetry, I can see where the poets and the bards used to live. I, I know the stories, I can see all the place names, they all make sense to me. And the landscape is it's almost lit up. It's almost like in stereo sound, or in, in, it's just completely alive to me. And this landscape here, which I love so much and I feel very much part of, I realised I didn't have that here. And I, I felt a profound sense of, of almost loss or something realising that I didn't have that and therefore I couldn't pass that on to my kids so I, I made it kind of a mission that I would learn as much as I could I would try and connect with this landscape in the same way that I feel so deeply connected to my island home And so how do you set about doing that? Well I guess in some ways it's a little more challenging because the Gaelic here from this area has all but gone and most of the Gaelic speakers that you meet here and engage with here are usually islanders or west coast West Coasters. There are some, yes. So um, you have to search a little bit harder. It's a bit easier to find your way into these things in somewhere like Uist, where Gaelic is still on an equal par. You know, in terms of spoken language, it's on an equal par with English. Here, it's very different. Gaelic definitely is a minority language in this area, despite it being the capital of the Highlands. And um, so, yeah, it involves a little bit more of a of a search, but that makes it that makes it exciting and challenging and. It's, it's what I love doing, rooting about in old books and finding these stories. And it helps me personally make sense of where I live. And I love being able to share that with the kids when I, when, when I can. So did you speak Gaelic as a child? No, not so much. I was kind of of that generation where we'd be spoken to quite a lot in Gaelic and we'd be guilty of answering in English. And maybe, I wouldn't say lazy, but... Um, all I know is I had to work very hard as a teenager to kind of claw that language that there was in my head and in my heart and in my being. I had to work really hard to be confident enough to use it and speak it. And what took uh, you back to it? When was the decision guess, to go and study I guess, it? I guess, funnily enough, leaving leaving US was the, was the key for me. And it's only when you leave a place that you, that you maybe see, recognise what you've left behind. Yeah, so I, I did have to work quite hard and... But at the same time, it's it's part of my family, it's part of who I am. And now it's my children, their first language, they have Irish as well. Um, they're kind of like sister languages anyway, but... So Eamon speaks Irish yeah, to them? Yeah, and unfortunately they're similar enough to be, uh, yeah, sister languages, but different enough to be intensely annoying, because <laughs> <laughs> just, just, you think you have a grasp on it, and then you, but then you don't. And can you explain to us why you think it's so important that this language lives and breathes and survives? 
Well, it's a, it's a connection to our past. It helps you understand where you live. It, it helps us understand the very land that we're walking upon right now. All the hill names, they're all in Gaelic. Or, I mean, there's a Norse influence there too, of course, but they tell stories. If you can understand the, the naming of the landscape around you, it gives you so much. You feel connected to it. You don't have to be from here to feel the connection of what went before. There's always lessons to be learned. Do, do you have a song that you think of when you think of this area? Well, this... This song that I'll sing for you now is one that I actually heard in, in North Uist for the first time. But actually, this version I came across in an old manuscript and the story around the song is said to have taken place just on the other side of the hill that you can see here, on the south side of the loch. And it's called Eynatjan Katalitjith. There's a great so, spot just across this stream here. I wonder if we could just walk over the stream and stop there to sing the song. Let's do that. Yeah. Okay. Nagian Nagian Julie, that was, that was wonderful. You've also charmed some ducks who have arrived <laughs> at the edge of the loch here to, to enjoy the singing. I've, I've sung to the seals plenty of times before, but not for the ducks so much. <laughs> tell, tell us about the story behind that song. Well, I'd first heard a version of that song in, in Binbekula from a great piper and singer called Katriana Garbutt. But I came across these words in, in some old papers from, that was published by the Gaelic Society of Inverness. And it was attributed to a man called Ushna Fraser from Foyers. 
and which is just along the loch here. It's just along the loch here, and there's a version of a, of a, of a tale which talks of, of this Ushjan going to France. It says he's spending the night in a lovely inn, and he hears a nurse sing a child to sleep. But within the croon, within her lullaby, she inserts these verses of warning, and he's roused to a sense of danger, and he cuts the blankets, makes a rope and he and the songstress escape out of the window. And the story goes that he takes her all the way back from France to Strathetic outside of Renes. So. <laughs> do you have a translation to I give do. us a sense of the poetry for, of for those who don't speak Gaelic? Yeah, essentially, so the words oi, it can either mean a guest in Gaelic or it's also the vocative form of the, of the name e, which is an old, name for, an old Gaelic word for Hugh, the name Hugh. So e or Hugh or guest don't sleep at all don't sleep deeply, you don't have a knife or a dagger, so don't sleep. You'll awake to terror and look under your bed, you'll find a stiff, heavy arm waiting wow. for you. It's a stiff, heavy arm is a scary bit, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> there's, it's, there's, so there's, um, it, it's funny, there's, uh, again, there's the word garshin, which is your, your arms is your garshin, and, but in some versions it's a gershin, which is a, like a, almost like a something terrifying like a monster or something a monster yeah under the yeah. bed yeah yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> are we going to travel around the edge of the loch now towards forest we are I'm going to go, let's go to foyers there's a beautiful foyers. beautiful falls there beautiful ace as we say in gaelic so let, let's head to the falls of foyers right on we go you did a great job with the ducks there Eamon. we think you're a duck whisperer <laughs> <laughs> Sort of a good name for a tune, though. Oh yes, the Kenny Canard. Oh, the Kenny Canard. Yes, be good. That's great. Uh So this is actually the first edition of Folk on Foot to have thick snow. Good. Well, to have any snow, Good. frankly. <laughs> and we're right in it now, aren't we? There's snow lying and it looks absolutely beautiful in amongst the trees here on the left. And we're going to walk down now to the falls. Yes. So it could be quite slippy there, couldn't it? Yes, well, hang on. Hang on <laughs> okay. <laughs> and you've got the bazooki out, Eamon. Have the bazooki. That is good news. So that means there's going to be music park. down by the falls. <laughs> Let's not drop the bazooki no. down <laughs> as we climb down. Cool. Some people would be happy right there. <laughs> now, Julie, I'm getting the impression that you're something of a keep fit fanatic. Well, I guess the loch holds lots of um, appeal for me. The, the last few years I've spent a lot of time cycling around it. So it's, is there um, an actual race? There is. We have an event up here called the, the Etap Loch Ness. It's just over 100 kilometres around. It's an amazing opportunity to, to cycle around the loch safely because they close the roads. There's never that much time to take in the views, mind you. But how, long do, how long does it take you? <laughs> just over four hours right. to, to get around. And you have to go fast, presumably. You go as fast as you can. You're, you're slowed down immensely by an amazingly beautiful but very steep hill which goes on for about 10 kilometres. Um, so it's lovely to kind of to cycle around and when you've spent time, you know, researching songs and stories and things, you, 
you begin to hear them in the landscape as you're going round. So, the ch the challenge this year is to is to roll the loch. That's you're that's gonna my, row. That's my challenge. Yeah. From one end to the other. From one end to the other. It's about twenty four miles. So. <laughs> <laughs> How often do you go out rowing? Oh, no, not enough, unfortunately. I, when you're away touring so much, it's really difficult to to keep all these things up. But yeah, when I'm at, whenever I'm at home, I'm out as often as I can. There's something so magical about just getting out into the water and just leaving the phone behind and leaving all that to one side. We can hear the falls now, can't we? Yeah, they're a little bit distant, but if you, could, if you, if you just listen, you'll be, able to, you'll be able to hear them. And the snow's cleared a bit here, so it's slightly it has, easier yeah. underfoot. You can see the lock in the distance as well. Amy, do, do the falls have a name in Gaelic? As na or smudge, we'd say in Irish, but smudge in Gaelic, I believe. And it uh, literally means ass is uh, the Gaelic word for falls, waterfalls, and um, or spring even. And smudge, the smoke, you'll see when you come down that there'll be spray. And today the spray will be very obvious because it'll have covered everything and everything will have this frozen, like almost freezing rain. The winter wonderland down there, it's gorgeous. I can't wait to see it. So the lullaby, Aoinajin Katalikis, was attributed to this, this Hugh Ujjin Fraser from Foyers, Ujjin Frangach, as he was known, French Hugh. We're very lucky that a lot of local history was documented in things like the, the transactions of the Gaelic Society in Bernays. I guess one of the most inspiring things for me, or certainly a catalyst for learning, was a project I worked on with, with two friends of mine who live in this area. We had tiny children, all of us at the time, and we were all kind of juggling babies and work, and I guess we were all craving some sort of creative outlet. And we worked on a kind of cultural mapping project. So the idea of remapping a place, not only with place names, but putting stories and song on the map, like literally on the map, and then sharing that. That was, a, that, was a, that was a real catalyst for me. It's fascinating that you could actually put a, a song in a specific place or a story in a specific place, yeah. presumably because of the person who, who told it or the family through which it was yes. handed down. So either by the composer or the singer who, you know, the kind of this, as far back as a source we can go. So they were placed in that way, by either composer or the singer or where we learned the, the song or, or where the, if there's a geographical link, of course, to the song. Again, it all helps you make sense of the place around you. So you've got the map with you? I did, I actually took the map with me just to, to show you. So this was focused on Strathnairn and, and neighbouring Straths, which is the south side of the loch. I live on the north side of the loch. Yeah, you can see the Oynajan cattle there. It's marked number four. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're, uh, we're here. Okay, yeah, yeah, just at the top of the map. Yeah, and, and then... I guess the connection to Foyers is through Hugh, Fraser, Hugh Frangach, Ushan Frangach. And this is the loch, and this is the loch, and, the top, and looking, yeah. this is us looking on the south side, the straths on the south side of Loch Ness. And then you've put in the places here, the numbers refer to stories and songs, and songs yeah. in different colours. Yes. I mean, what's amazing to me to see this is, my inspiration for doing this podcast was the sense of place that folk music has, and you have personified it here for <laughs> us. You've shown us that literally on the map we can see the cultural heritage and the songs and yeah. stories and, and that's a wonderful thing to see isn't it an interesting way of, of, of looking at a place yes L looking, at a map. looking at a place through its stories and through its songs yeah and and, and navigating almost by that's them. exactly it it just 
Yeah, it's just another level of of depth and knowledge that, that roots you to a place. Even if you're not from a place, it allows you to feel a deeper connection with it. You know, it's just so interesting. It's a brilliant artifact. Thank you for bringing it with you. Yeah. Now, um, Eamon's got out an instrument. Eamon's got out his bazooki. He has. Uh, so would you, would you play and sing for us? What are you going to sing now? Well, we might maybe sing something that's a little bit, that we've been singing for a little while. Um, and actually, would, might have this been the first song we ever played together? Yeah. It's so long well, ago, I can't remember. He's, he's not looking particularly romantic, is he? You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, maybe. <laughs> Sunny and Sharon moment. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you bet you've never sung here before. <laughs> No, I have never seen you. No, no, so thank you. Thank you for encouraging us. First for folk on foot. Yeah. <laughs> Let's hope the bazooki reacts well to the temperatures. Yeah, well, yeah. it's never in tune anyway, so it's yeah. not going to change anything. <laughs> so what are you going to sing? What do you sing? Begin Jock Shen Life Madu, yeah. which means this drink would be in the hand of my love. And this song goes back, ooh, 500 years anyway. And it's one that... Again, I learned from Katina Garbert in, in Benbecula, and it's one, I actually think it's, it's maybe one of the first ones we ever sang together, which is a good number of years ago now. Can't even work out how many, but um, yeah, we'll look like a little. Yeah.
So one of the things, listening to that song, yeah. that occurs to me is that Gaelic is a musical language. Yes. I mean, it feels that uh, obviously I don't understand it, but I feel it yes. when you're singing. Is that what your observation too? I think so. That's what that's what I feel certainly. Um, hello. 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 Morning. Thank you. Morning. Hiya. I think there's a great truth and honesty in these songs. There were it's storytelling, isn't it? And um, but there's a musicality but, to the language. Like Italian somehow is a language that is great to sing in. You yeah, know, when you hear opera sung in Italian, it somehow works like that. Yeah, there's some um, the rhythms in Gaelic singing. Always the rhythms of the words take precedence. That's the kind of the general rule, and the music is considered almost secondary. But actually, by doing that, it becomes very musical by letting the words lead the lead the storytelling. It's not the which way should we go? Should we do the upper viewpoint? Yeah. Yeah. It's really icy, guys. Keep the hand out. Yeah. Yeah. Well. No, I'm kind of okay. Whoop. It is very slidey. It's all packed. Oh. <laughs> the view is worth it, I promise. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, that is amazing. Yeah, you can mind. You can This is quite spectacular, Julie, because we can see the falls cascading white water right down the rock face here. Yeah, and it's freezing, of course, as it's as it's uh, the last few days. Certainly, the temperature's been so cold. The well, there's sheet ice under underfoot. Yeah, yeah it's quite it's quite tricky getting down I the hill here. I didn't realize you had an issue with heights. This maybe no, wasn't my, the best. My, it's not great for my vertigo, <laughs> but you know, there you go. I had to swim in the Brockwell Lido with Kerry Andrew, well, listen, and now you do. You take me up here to look down this huge drop. We're testing you. <laughs> <laughs> but it is—it's absolutely worth it because it's a, a beautiful spot, isn't it? It's really incredible, yeah. And um, the sound is wonderful—that roaring sound of the power of the water coming down. It is, and it feeds into the loch, and there's just that—just that very simple idea. But it's lovely the thought of all that water up in the hills there coming down through the. The waterfall and feeding into the Ness and Loch Ness is part of this amazing construction, Thomas Telford's Caledonian Canal, which effectively, it really effectively cuts off the North Highlands from the rest of Scotland. So there's a waterway from Inverness in the in the north, right the way down to the southwest to Fort William, and yeah. So water for, for us here, all these water features, they they they're part of our. our our daily life, really, you know. Well, let's climb back up the hill, if we can, across the ice. It might involve a bit of skating. We may have to rope ourselves together yeah. to, get, <laughs> to get over the ice and go back up the hill. And somebody's very conveniently into the rock here, carved a verse which goes, Still through the gap the struggling river toils, and still below the horrid cauldron boils. And that's what it's like when you look over the edge and see the water steaming up from the bottom. So, so we're climbing, climbing back up. Yeah. I, I should have known as we were coming down <laughs> that this, this would involve going back up again, wouldn't it? We're climbing back up yeah. this extraordinary um, staircase. 
um, up the hill away from the fall um, with rocks and tree roots underfoot. I will bring you for a cup of coffee soon. Oh, I good. Uh, yeah. That would be nice. But <laughs> <laughs> Shall we just pause here for a second, uh, Julie, because I want to ask you about a project that I know has been a big part of your life for the last year, which is the Isle Air project, yeah. which is for, for an anniversary related to the First World War. Can you tell yeah. us about that? Yeah, well, the Ayurlaid, or it's a Gaelic word, Eulida, which is a Gaelic word for eagle. But the Ayurlaid, which is... That's the, the way of, I pronounce it, yeah, which is really well, bad. No, no, no. <laughs> and that was how it's generally described. It's, the Ayurlaid was a, it was a yacht which was taking servicemen home on 31st of December. 1918 after the war and it left Kyle at 7.30 she was due into the port of Stornoway in the Isle of Lewis in the early hours of the 1st of January and uh, due to navigational error and worsening weather conditions the ship struck the rocks known as the as Beast and Hulam the beasts of, of home at Hulam and she eventually sank shortly after with the loss of 201 lives of the 280 of men that were on board. It was the biggest loss of life around British shores in, uh, in, in recent history and it's the single incident which had the biggest impact on the Hebrides for hundreds of years and the, the loss of those 201 men are felt so keenly even today um, over a hundred years later. Myself and great friend and colleague, musician Duncan Chisholm, we were tasked with putting together a commemorative piece, which as you can imagine was pretty challenging. It's hard to describe the effect that it had on the island. As someone said, it was like the strength of the island had been taken away in one night, like a, a black cloak had been put over the island. There were, I think there were some over 300 children orphaned by the Ayurlaid. There were pairs of brothers. Do you and Duncan sit down and begin to come up with a musical response to something that emotional? Well, I suppose the best bit of advice we got right at the beginning of the process was um, to let the men who were on board that night tell the story. So people who have survived, we used their testimonies. There was a number three that kept coming back. So almost three generations gone in that hundred years. There was also the idea of the third wave, and that's what we called the piece, the third wave, Entresuole. We named the piece Entresuole after the actions of one man who was known as Federopa, John F. MacLeod. And he made the brave decision to try and take a hawser rope to shore. He really took a chance and he jumped into the water, he threw one boot ahead of him, and he like everybody else on the board, many of them were serving in, like they were in the RNR, so they were very experienced mariners. And he knew how to read the patterns of the waves, the, he knew the sea so well. He knew that the third wave is the strongest. It's, they're known as, in Gaelic as a clear, and the, the pattern of waves following that's known as fa, it's like the lull. And he watched the patterns of the, of the waves and he took the, the third wave and that was the one that carried him to shore because he knew, even if you were the best swimmer in the world, that that night in those rough seas, the swimming wasn't going to take you there. So he let himself be thrust onto the shore by the third wave. He took the rope with him and because of his actions, dozens and dozens were saved. 
before the line eventually broke and went to the bottom of the sea with the Iliad. So when you performed this, did you perform it on the island? We did. We performed it, it in Lewis. Incredibly emotional. It was the single most emotional thing I've ever done in my life. Really, um, term, musical. You know, musically speaking, it was. Um, at times, it was kind of harrowing, but there was something important about just being truthful and telling the story as it was. Usually, when you approach a musical project, you're thinking about light and shade and and tempos and moods. There wasn't any of that in this. It just had to be about the story, and as difficult and as harrowing and as challenging as it was at times, that's the way we had to do it. What was the response? The response at the end was pure silence. And that's, we've performed it four times now, and there's nothing like it, like sitting on the stage and finishing a piece and knowing that the people in the audience are looking at images and listening to stories of their own family people who were lost, drowned, or perhaps survivors who struggled greatly with life thereafter. And at each of the end of the four performances, there have been an extended period of pure silence. Just a really special project and one which is, it'll never leave me. Mm. Let's keep moving. Sounds amazing. Are you going to perform it again? I must say that Julie and Eamon have gone to great lengths to help us out on Folk on Foot here because Julie's just had to scrape the snow off a table here in order to place the harmonium which they brought with them to sing this next song. Let's just, let's just go a bit closer because, Julie, that's a wonderful instrument. It's got it stops. It has, yeah. It's, and um, and do, you, do you pump it by uh, yeah, bellows hand, at the back? It's a hand pump harmonium. So um, can you use one hand, the right hand, for, for playing a few little in my case, kind of simple chords, and then um, use the left hand for pushing the air through, so it has a... So you can change the harmonics by yeah. pulling out the stops. Yeah. That's wonderful. It's lovely well, thank too. you for bringing it. That's all right, now that we've got rid of the snow, most <laughs> of the ice. Nobody yet has had to scrape ice off a table <laughs> to put their harmonium in place this on this podcast. You're, to you're really brilliant. No, you can tell you're a Highlander, though, because <laughs> <laughs> nothing phases you. No, no. <laughs> so, what are you going to sing for us here? Well, I was recently involved in a project called Spell Songs, ah. The Lost Words Spell Songs, which is a musical project which sprung out of the amazing work by Jackie Morris and Robert McFarlane. The book itself, the writing and the images, the paintings are so, so inspiring. And the idea for anybody who doesn't know about it, it this book is really a celebration of all these words are being lost. Words um, that have been taken out of the Children's English Dictionary, yeah, weren't they? Yeah, they were. And um, 
Jackie has made these beautiful illustrations. And, uh, and we should say they're words like acorn and they're really adder. To me, they're really important, essential words like uh, acorn, like wren, raven, bluebell, otter, newt, things that are part of certainly my and my family's everyday life, and to lose them just seems uh, it just seems like an absolute tragedy to take them out of the dictionary to be replaced by modern words like probably emoji and things like that. There's, it's it's just awful the thought of that. And um, I I got this book for my children uh, over a year ago, and they just they absolutely love it. It's a magical, magical book, and the musical project around it um, has been such a, it's such a privilege to work with all the other musicians who are involved. Who else is it? So um, the Chris Drever is involved, and Kareen Polwart, Rachel Newton. So we're the kind of the Scottish contingent, and there's uh, Seku Keita from Senegal, Kerry Andrew, who I know you've worked with, and Beth Porter, and Jim Molyneux, who I hadn't worked with before this project, and they're all incredible musicians. So we've just spent a week um, together, and we had only one week, to write an entire album of music um, from scratch but based on the work, on Jackie and Robert's work, and, and also just record it as well, which we managed to do. Um, so you did it from writing to recording yes. the album in, in a week? From nothing to an entire album and a wow. concert set. So what is the song that you have written and are going to perform for us now? The song I'm going to play for you now is one that myself and Kareen put together one morning. I think it was like the second morning of our residency. And we sat down and Robert's poems... They're really amazing. His use of language is incredible. But the poems don't necessarily lend themselves to being songs immediately. So what we did was we took one of his poems, which is Snow Hair. And this is one of his newer spells or newer poems. And we tried to create a traditional form for that Snow Hair poem. And so we extracted some of the the words and the messages from that. And then we melded it, I guess, into a traditional song. Seems very appropriate to sing it standing here in the snow. It does, actually. Perfect. The hair turns white as the year turns black All the rain is falling The hair turns white as the year turns black Oh, the dark is rising By the loch of the bird he hungers down in the heather He waits for the veil of snow to come And cover him over The snow here hides in the mountain moss Oh, the sleet is falling The snow here hides in the Down in the heather, he lies. 
we, we've talked a lot about Gaelic and about preserving the language and so on, but it must be quite hard to think about a music career in a language that a lot of people aren't going to understand. Were you ever tempted to think, well, I'll sing more in English? Well, I suppose the thing for me was I'd never planned a career in music, so it wasn't really a... There wasn't an objective or an aim to be hugely successful or anything like that. I just, I, I sang these songs because I, I really loved it. And was there I, a moment when you decided to become a full-time musician? There was a moment when I went full-time and it, it happened because my mother took really ill. I had not long graduated. I'd done maybe a year and a half of my, my first ever full-time job. I was working as a music development officer and I, I loved it. And I had no reason to, to want to do anything else. I was doing a few gigs on the side, but... It was more to keep up with my musician friends and just to play and just for the enjoyment of it. But my mum took uh, gravely ill in March 2002 and she spent a year in hospital. What was the matter? She developed a thing called Guillain-Barre syndrome. So she went from being fully healthy woman to being paralysed overnight from the neck down. And so it was um, a really traumatic year for us uh, as a family and it sent us all spinning in different directions and we all reacted and coped in different ways and I decided that I would quit my job and I thought, well, I'll play music for a year. It will maybe give me a bit more time with my family and also think that 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 sharp realisation that life is very precious and very short and you only get one shot at it. I suppose I thought, well, maybe if I want to do anything wild and, you know, now when I've got no ties and, you know, now is the time to do it. So I planned to take a year out, play music, spend time with my family and focus on all of that and then go back to normal, as it were, in a year's time. But um, I'm still here. (laughs) (laughs) And how's your mum now? She's great. She's doing really well. She walks with a a walking frame now and she's out of her wheelchair for a long time now and I couldn't be any more proud of her, actually, and of of my dad, too, for coping with the way he handled the whole thing and and kept everyone together. It was um, sort of a sad catalyst in a way for what I'm doing but I think when you periods of of difficulty make you stronger ultimately and so back to my question did you ever think well my career would be better if I sang in English yeah and I think well I think lots of people used to tell me that when I started playing full-time they used to say well you'll get played in the radio if you you sing in English or you'll get more gigs and I I think I quite stubbornly just ignored everybody and just stuck to. I thought I'll just sing what I want to sing and and actually I I really strongly feel that you don't have to dumb music down, you know you don't have to sing in any certain language to connect with people. You know even without words at all you can connect with people very strongly just through music. So I I've always just kind of stubbornly stomped my own path but uh, the thing is for me is I, I really like singing in English and, and in other languages too the last album was, I sang in Galician and regularly you know collaborate with people like Le Vent du Nord um, singing uh, in French and Quebecois you know so uh, I, being a musician one of the most magical things is sharing and learning from one another I think you've got one more song for us do, tell, yeah. tell us about this well this is a song which I came across when I was leafing through the transactions of the Galaxy Society of Inverness from the late 1800s, which is the kind of thing that I do. And I came across this poem, which was very clearly, to, to my mind, a song, because it has a refrain. And it was a really tragic story of a Highland family, and there are three uh, siblings in this family. There's two sisters and a brother. One of the sisters passes away, and the brother decides to go to Ireland. And in the song, or the story to the song, the living sister 
who's is living in the Highlands of Scotland, she has this vision one night and it's the sister who has passed who has come back to tell her that the brother has now joined her. So That's sad. Yeah, it's um a really moving song and it kind of tells a story in, in like such a heartbreaking way that only a Gaelic song can. i 
I don't know about having a voice that charms the birds out of the trees, but you've just charmed a deer now to arrive. A red deer has come and walked very in a very picturesque way across the snowscape behind you as you were singing the that song. The ducks and the deer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's been a joy to have this conversation with you, to hear your beautiful music. That's thank you so much. And thank you, Eamon, too, for coming to play with us and, and, and coming to talk to us. Julie Fowlis on the shores of Loch Ness. Well, if you've enjoyed this episode of Folk on Foot, please rate and review us so others can find us, and please tell all your friends. To keep up with the latest news, sign up for our newsletter at folkonfoot.com. Other episodes in Season 2 feature John Bowden in the Loxley Valley, Seth Lakeman on Dartmoor, Kerry Andrew or UR Wolf at the Brockwell Lido, Fisherman's Friends in Port Isaac, and Stick in the Wheel on the Road to Epping Forest. And if you haven't caught up with season one yet, what are you waiting for? Six more episodes featuring the young'uns, Corrine Polwart, Sam Lee, Eliza Carthy and family, Steve Knightley and Cara Dillon. All available right now at folkonfoot.com or through your podcast app. Do have a listen.